This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Our guest today is J. Eric Wright, Chairman of Africa Venture Partners and Director of the Picasso Group. Eric, thank you so much for joining us on Knowledge at Wharton Podcasts. Thank you very much. It's great to be back at Wharton after 20-plus years as a student. I've come back to a number of the reunions, but always great to be on campus and uh, to look at the new developments that are taking place. And hopefully I'll get a chance to meet other students uh, as well while I'm, uh, while I'm around. Well, welcome back. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. To uh, begin with, I wonder if we could talk about the fact that in recent years, Africa seems to have witnessed this huge upsurge of entrepreneurial energy. From your perspective, what are some of the biggest opportunities for entrepreneurs in Africa today and why? I think the the biggest opportunity for entrepreneurs is in the consumer space. Um, The past 20 odd years or so, there was a big heavy investment in infrastructure that's allowed entrepreneurs to emerge um, and not require as much capital to build out infrastructure, which really was a difficult uh, for, for entrepreneurs to participate in. Now that most, a lot of that infrastructure has been built, particularly in the communication space, a number of ventures are now becoming, uh, coming online, and many MBAs are coming back home as a first choice of employment from Africa instead of in the previous years, their first choice was to go to London or New York and work for... Bain or McKinsey or a big bank, now they're looking at starting their own businesses back home, and many of which are in the consumer space. Could you talk about what some of the biggest risks um, are that African entrepreneurs face, and, and how do they differ from those that might confront entrepreneurs in other countries, and maybe how could those risks be mitigated? I think one risk that entrepreneurs face in Africa that um, is a challenge for all entrepreneurs, but maybe even more difficult in Africa is a lack of early stage capital. Um, oftentimes entrepreneurs will have a great idea and they'll start off with a bit of their own seed capital if they have it, but it's very difficult for them to find the next stage or the, the Series A capital and, and may run out of funds before they're able to really get traction. Um, so I think a lack of early stage capital, both at the seed stage and the Series A stage, um, would probably be the first thing that I would I would raise. Um, there are regulatory challenges in terms of getting businesses off the ground. Uh, that can be a challenge for, it, it depends on the country. Um, and I think the third is the depth of management talent. Great entrepreneurs, um, but we still must fill the mid-level management um, and provide more training, more education at that level. So and, and so that really really impacts businesses as they begin to scale, um, and I think that's a challenge. Certainly, if you compare it to the U.S., um, but I think there are similar challenges in many emerging markets as well. Well, Eric, I wonder if you could take a step back and uh, take a look at how how you ended up in Africa, and 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 if you could take us a little bit through your Africa journey. Sure, sure. So I graduated from Wharton in '92. And at that time, Africa certainly wasn't a sexy, hot place to start one's career after business school. Um, I was going to go work for Morgan Stanley in New York, 
And um, I thought, well, I'll just take a year off and try to do something totally unrelated to uh, the traditional mainstream MBA track and ended up moving to Ghana. Um, I wanted to go to an English-speaking country, um, which was a huge mistake. I should have gone to a French-speaking country and learned the language. Um, and I wanted a country at that point that was politically stable um, and had some economic indicators that were very positive. And at that point in time, there were very few. Um, Ghana was a standout in the early 90s, um, had recently had a, a democratic election, which went well and decided to go there, in part because of a couple of classmates of mine encouraged me. And um, once I got over there, well, I, I created a, a partnership with the MBA Enterprise Corps, which had been sending MBAs to Eastern Europe in the late 80s and had not sent anyone to Africa and approached them about partner a partnership for Africa and used me as a guinea pig to see if the program would work there. And um, after about six months there, I uh, decided to start an investment bank with a Ghanaian guy that was, uh, had been living in the U.S. for about 25 years. He was a partner at Deloitte & Touche, and he had an interest in starting an investment bank as well. So started that bank, uh, which I'm happy to say is still around 23 years ago. A number of Wharton alums have worked there over the years. Uh, one of the first hires uh, we made was a guy in the class behind me, uh, two guys actually uh, behind me, and two guys who were going to HBS. And uh, we built that bank and investment bank, and today it's probably the second or third largest investment bank in, in Ghana. And, and then from there, I started thinking about a more long-term engagement and career in Africa. Um, I thought, Maybe a year isn't enough. And uh, I started looking at South Africa. This is now 93. And the pending elections in South Africa were scheduled for 94. So I began looking at how do I get to South Africa? Um, and fortunately, within uh, probably six, nine months, I landed in South Africa and worked for Citigroup in <coughs> private equity for a number of years. And we did a number of deals in the telecommunication space when there was very little infrastructure and built out a lot of the mobile networks. Uh, from our side, obviously, we were the financing partner and uh, did that throughout the 90s and then left City in 2000. Could you talk to us about your, your current work? Um, what is Africa Venture Partners and, and what is your investment strategy for Africa? Well, our strategy has historically been around the mobile uh, telecom space. Um, after leaving City, we invested in a few of the big mobile operators that became very successful. Um, I left in 2000 to join a dot-com when everyone was leaving big companies in, in the U.S. and elsewhere. And we raised $10 million uh, for a company called Africa.com and attracted a very, very talented team. Um, practically every VC wanted to back us. There were great comps in India and China that were six and seven billion dollar valuations respectively, and they basically had a PowerPoint deck. And we put ours together and our great team, and we thought we were worth a billion dollars. And many on the street were saying they would IPO us at a billion dollars. Um, and many of the large VCs in California wanted to see us. 
Unfortunately, a few months in, the tech.com crashed, boom crashed. And uh, we had to go back to the drawing board, but the cash was running out very rapidly. And uh, we ended up um, uh, folding the company. Um, but the nine months there was the best business education that I've ever had on multiple levels, primarily on the people side. And when I was at Wharton, I didn't take very many HR-related classes. And as an entrepreneur, reflecting back, I think it's the single biggest skill that one can have. Um, and I think it's undervalued by many people in business school who are looking more at the quantitative or strategy-oriented courses. And I think once you're out as an entrepreneur and you have to motivate and manage people, having a strong understanding of, of leadership skills and HR skills are very, very valuable. If you were to look at the landscape today for, for venture capital and private equity in Africa, uh, what would be your assessment? And also, how do you differentiate yourself in that space? Well, I think generically, I think the, the outlook is still positive, but I think returns will start to come down. Uh, there has been a tremendous amount of capital raised for private equity and some very large funds that, uh, in, in the African uh, context. And there aren't as many companies as one would think where you can make a $50, $100 million investment. Many companies of the, that scale are family-owned, and oftentimes the families do not want to relinquish control and do not necessarily want the corporate governance that comes with a private equity investment. Um, so there are different models. Many private equity shops are looking at partnering with family-owned businesses to create new entities that may focus on a narrowly defined space. And within that entity, the families are okay with the corporate governance issues and maybe giving up control. Um, Africa Venture Partners is not a traditional passive private investor. It's more of a company that starts initiatives and seed funds them and stays involved from a management perspective. So oftentimes, or most of the time, there are our ideas and they're not third-party uh, entrepreneurs. And uh, so it's not, it, it wouldn't be the traditional model where an entrepreneur walks through the door, we provide capital and, and monitor that investment from the board. We're much more hands-on. And given the Picasso Group's focus on oil and gas, power and mining in Africa and the Middle East, how are you dealing with the commodity price drops? And is this changing your investment strategy in those regions? Absolutely. Um, right now, it's uh, time to just sit on the sidelines and, and let things uh, uh, settle down a bit. Um, hopefully, the oil prices have bottomed out, but one never knows. Um, but the commodity cycle, the oil and gas cycle right now, it's, it's certainly not a great time to be in that space. The power um, industry holds more promise, I think, in the short term although those projects take very, very long time. Um, and in some markets, it's more challenging from a regulatory perspective than others to, to get things done. Um, so obviously much more capital intensive, um, much, more, much longer lead time, um, and you really need a very favorable um, regulatory and government environment to, to be successful. So within Picasso, we're beginning to look at more plays in the consumer space as well. 
Um, the and I think your earlier question around opportunities for entrepreneurs and, and we touched on it a bit the consumer play we think is really where things um, w where the real action will be for entrepreneurs going forward uh, the decision making process for someone buying your goods is not concentrated in the hands of two or three individuals as it is in the case of a big infrastructure play where the president and the minister and a few others have to green light a deal um, whereas in the consumer space, if you have a value proposition that millions of consumers want and can afford, then they will transact and, and buy that product. Um, and the politics are, for the most part, taken out of the equation. So it's, uh, I think it's a better place to be at this stage of Africa's development. And how do you mitigate against risks in this sector? Well, um, again, I think it's a, it's a lot easier to mitigate against the, the risk. I think one of the issues it may be around how do you package and size a product that um, meets the, the consumer ability, consumer's ability to afford your, your product. So in terms of packaging the product, um, the, the size of the quantity of the product, um, so creating products that are very, very affordable and can reach a mass market. And many entrepreneurs on the continent seem to adopt a, a Pan-Africa approach rather than focusing on a single country. What are the pros and cons of this approach? Well, I think it's very difficult to have a Pan-African strategy in that there are 50-plus countries, each with totally different opportunities and risk and regulatory environments and political dynamics. Um, currency issues that can go against you. South Africa has lost 30, 40% of the value of the RAND in the past six months or so. Um, and just as an entrepreneur with limited resources, it's hard to really call yourself Pan-African. I think Pan-African means that you're opportunistic in a Pan-African uh, respect, that you will pick and choose opportunities across the continent. But I think you'll find the most successful entrepreneurs are focused on one or two countries, and they may bet that down and look to scale from there, but not try to be active in the very early days in multiple countries. Um, if you take a country such as Nigeria or South Africa, or Kenya, you're capturing a large percentage of the disposable spend across Africa just being present in two or three or four countries. Well, to end on a somewhat personal note, I wonder if uh, we could talk about, uh, based on your experience as an entrepreneur in Africa, what do you think is the biggest leadership challenge you have faced? How did you deal with it, and what did you learn from it? Interesting question. Um, there have been many uh, challenges as, as a leader, and I think one coming out of the investment banking world where all of your colleagues have a similar background in terms of where they went to school, what their work experience has been, um, and it, it was much easier to lead in that environment for me. And becoming an entrepreneur where, so in the corporate structure, I only manage those individuals. And those that were not at that level, someone else was responsible for the management of, of, of those uh, individuals. Whereas an entrepreneur, particularly when you're starting off, with limited resources, you may not be able to hire a Wharton MBA um, or someone who has Wall Street experience or worked for McKinsey, et cetera. 
And as you go further and further lower in the organization, you may even have individuals who do not have a high school education, may be semi-literate, may not speak English very well. So the challenge for me personally was understanding and, and trying to create a management style, leadership style that would be effective at all levels of the organization. Um, and I think patience is something that's very, very key in an emerging market such as Africa. Um, I think that the process of on-the-job training is, is very important. It's not an academic or theoretical exercise. It's show how to do certain things to get them done and to create systems and processes that are um, hopefully that will be learned and can be replicated on a consistent basis. Eric, thank you so much for speaking to Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.